Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways he calls us to go deeper still in relationship with him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast and my friends, I'm so glad you're joining us today. I have to just say, this is a special conversation for me today. You know, I've said this on the show before, but one of the things I love about podcasting is the way that sometimes by God's goodness and his grace, I get to see these little glimpses of how he has been at work in my life, how that has come full circle by interviewing people who have shaped who I am. My guest today is certainly no exception. I first met Jeff Crosby when I took a job at InterVarsity Press, which is a publishing house just a few miles down the road. We love InterVarsity Press. Jeff was the associate publisher and the VP of sales and marketing, and he would eventually become my boss a few months after I started working there, and he would later go on to become the publisher of IVP as a whole. And one of the things I have always appreciated about Jeff, I've appreciated about it then, I appreciate it about him now, is his investment in people. He is someone who invests deeply into the lives of people and into matters of faith. And I know there are countless authors who have been shaped and impacted by his work. And I am so privileged to have been one of those people. For the last 15 years, Jeff has been searching for what he says is the language of his own soul. He's invested in others, but he has also wrestled through this in his own life. And he has come up with a way to articulate what some of the deep longings of the soul are. And he has done it in his new book called The Language of the Soul, Meeting God in the Longings of Our Hearts, which just released last week. My friends, I say this with earnest. It's one of the best books I've read in a really long time. It is beautiful, it is artful, and it speaks to those places in our lives where we long. And I would argue today that we are all a people who long for something. And so our conversation today is about the importance of articulating some of those longings, of paying attention to them. Longings like community, like friendship, like transformation, like freedom from fear and anxiety, or the longing for meaningful work to do something that matters. And all of it culminates in this longing for our eternal home, which is mysterious and beautiful, and we'll lean into that a little bit today. Not only is Jeff a lover of words, particularly of words found in music, as we will find out, but he currently serves as the president and CEO of the ECPA, the Evangelical Christian Publishing Association. Jeff and his wife, Cindy, have been married for more than 40 years. They have two grown children and six grandchildren, which Jeff talks about on our program today. My friends, it's such a pleasure to have Jeff here today. And so saddle up, settle in, listen in as Jeff and I go deeper still. Well, Jeff, welcome to Deeper Still. It's so good to have you here, my friend. It is great to be here with you. You know, I say this every time when I start a podcast and I'm sitting across from someone, and and this is a joy for me because we're recording here in the studio or face-to-face. I'm not recording remotely. And every time I get to sit across from someone and and look at someone especially that... um, has been a friend of mine, that has been a colleague of mine, that has been a mentor of mine, that has uh, 
spoken into my life in such a powerful way. And now I get to sit and, and podcast with someone and interview someone and have these conversations about the things that God is doing in their life. It's just, I always sit back and I'm amazed at the amazing grace that God has given me by the people he has placed in my life. And you are one of those people for me. And it is such a joy and such a privilege to have you here today. I'm grateful for the time and also the time we had to work together. That was uh, those were wonderful years at IVP. Those were wonderful years. I, I hold those dear in my heart for sure. The other thing I hold dear in my heart, especially today, as we're having this conversation, I confessed to you a little bit ago that I finished your book just this morning, just the epilogue. I had read most of it, but the epilogue I sat with this morning over a cup of coffee at 6.30 this morning. And I really, just as I, I sat and soaked in your book, as I finished it, you're such a beautiful storyteller. There's so much meaning in this book. It's so powerful. It stirred something in my own soul that I felt like has not been stirred in a while. And I wish I could have just had all day to sit and stare at the window or out the window uh, with my cup of coffee and just think about the things that you bring in this book. And uh, we were reflecting a little bit about the fact that, you know, you have been in the publishing industry, the book world for all of your career, almost 40 years you have been there. And this is the first time you are sitting on this side of the microphone talking about something that you have labored over for the last 15 years. And I'm wondering, right. um, what does this feel like for you? Well, I, I confess, uh, Sue that it's probably a little more natural and, uh, you know, comfortable for me to be on the publisher uh, side of the desk or, or guiding others who have written um, as they prepare to talk about their work. But I do think that being in the industry for uh, almost 40 years this September, will I'll cross that mark, has taken away a lot of uh, the natural anxiety that we who put our our hearts and our words out into the world naturally feel. It doesn't mean that I don't have any, um, but it takes away a lot of that. So my hope is that this little project that, yes, about 15 years uh, from start to finish, um, that uh, it you know goes out in the world and reaches whoever it reaches and does something positive. And I think my role was to be faithful in, mm -hmm. in uh, writing the best book that I could and then just kind of let things uh, go from there. I'll, I'll do the work that I need to do to support it, but um, I'm not terribly anxious. Uh, <laughs> I am more comfortable on the other side of the desk, mm -hmm. however. Well, and I wonder how, how much of that, you just said something so beautiful that you've been faithful to what God has called you to do, that that has been your role in it. And I feel like today we live in this world that that message doesn't get out very much where it, you know, so many, especially in the younger generations, listen to me now talking about the younger generations <laughs> that, um, you know, they're clamoring for, they want to put something meaningful into the world as we all do. And we'll get sure. to that when we talk about meaningful work that you wrote about, but to what end when you think about this celebrity culture we're, that we're in and you know you have this hope of of your voice getting out there and for you to just be able to lay that down not that you don't want to sell books but to right. be able to lay that down and say your role in all of this was just to be faithful to your own calling that's yeah. an important message it it really was and i began uh, work on this book uh really arising out of music though i worked in the world of of books all of my adult life, except a short little while as a sports editor uh, of a, a daily newspaper. But virtually my entire adult life has been in the world of books. But it is music that I 
say in the book is the language of the soul. And so the whole word saudaji that gives the 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 uh, framework for the book arose uh, arose out of music. It it didn't uh, the book didn't arise out of a desire to create a platform or um, you know a name apart from you know the identity that I have in Christian publishing. It it was a message that I felt I was burdened with mm-hmm. as I grappled with that word saudade and made the connection to longing. And so the words on the page are the the output of all of the reflection mm. on on that. Mm. You know, your love for music and your passion for music comes out throughout the whole book. Your passion for words. I mean, the amount of um, authors and places you draw information from to put this book together, the amount of stories you're able to tell from your own life, but the amount of things that come out of music, your passion, your love. I've known this about you for a long time. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? You know, I think um, it really goes back to uh, my childhood. And one of the connections that I made, the deepest connection I made with my father was in music. Uh, When I was in the fifth grade, he gave me a, I was a quite sickly child, missed a lot of school because of uh, a significant illness. And in fifth grade, he brought me a little electric guitar and an amplifier and a songbook, which I don't have the, the instrument or the amplifier. I still have the songbook. It's held together by duct, duct tape. <laughs> but he brought this home uh, one afternoon um, when I was unable to attend school from January to the end of the year. And he said, you know, here's the songbook. Uh, here's, here's how you uh, learn to chord. And, um, you know, I, th- I, I thought you might enjoy this. Music was the connecting point along with baseball. Uh, from my dad and me. And that gift that he gave me when I was a young child, I, I literally laid in bed and I got the songbook out, put it in front of me, looked at the chord diagrams and figured out how do I finger the fretboard and play Wild World by Cat Stevens mm-hmm. or Morning is Broken or You've Got a Friend. Um, so I think partly it's the connection within our family system to this day, my siblings and I, we have a text thread where we share new music with each mm-hmm. other. Some of the songs on the playlists in the book came from, uh, I believe, my older brother. Uh, he's the most active other than me of sharing new songs. So, um, But I think beyond that family system answer, Sue Ann, it is that I believe, like poetry, uh, melody and words to songs, that there's something about... Uh, the the way that the lyricist or the poet has to uh, they have to handle the words they don't have the expansive pages to work with it, it's short um, it, there's it's time and space bound and so their care of the language is is really lacerating it's penetrating and so I think that uh, music even more than books. I hope I can say that as a person. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> um, music, even more than books, is is what uh, what I turn to in in times of you know where I need solace or peace or um, you know need to reflect on events in the world and things like that. And so, family system dynamics, as well as just the power of melody, the power of of a very truncated group of words. Um, So poetry and music, I think, communicate deeply to our souls. Mm, That's so good and so true. And I I think 
that's a perfect way to start talking about longing because one of the ways that you describe this longing, and you already mentioned it, but uh, this whole idea of um, the longing in our hearts, that what it means for us as people who are created in the image of God to long as we go through life for a variety of different things. But I was thinking about, you know, that is not a, a term or language that maybe the everyday person sits down and thinks about. They feel it, they experience it, but I wonder how many people sit down and say, what am I really longing for and what does this mean? But you just talk about music, and all of us have had that experience when we've been sitting somewhere and a song comes on the radio, and it takes us back to some point in our lives where we are maybe not longing for that to be recreated, but that longing that bubbles up, and you have a word for this that uh, you already mentioned that is, a, is just a beautiful word that was kind of the impetus for this book. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit, unpack that a little bit for us, and talk about this whole idea of longing, why we need to pay attention to it, why it matters to our souls. Yeah, so the, the word that I mentioned, saudade, is a Portuguese word, and it came to me probably 30 30 years ago, um, I, I timestamp it because I know it was before the internet had arrived, which would have made researching, what does Saudade mean, a lot easier. In those days, I had to go to the public library and, and, uh, and, and sift through the stacks trying to figure out what does it mean. But it came to me, this Portuguese word, which is called an untranslatable emotion. There's no English equivalent for it. It's, uh, it's something that linguists... Uh, talk about as just simply untranslatable. There are other words in German and, and other languages like it. But the Portuguese word saudade came to me through music coming out of Brazil primarily, um, bossa nova music, jazz music. And I would see these songs on the records that I would buy. And the titles, invariably these records by Stan Getz or by João Gerberto or Yvonne Lenz or even more recently Yo-Yo Ma, and this word would be one of the songs on the records. And I had to know what did it mean. Um, and, uh, and so the search began. And over time, I, along with the help of other writers, um, you know, made the connection to the English word longing and the notion of these, these yearnings, these longings, these things that we carry in our hearts and our souls, um, whether we are mindful of it or not. And, um, and I believe that our longings are drivers of, of our thoughts, drivers of our behavior, drivers of our hopes. And so it is good to befriend them. Mm. I believe it was the writer Ronald Rollheiser who said in his book, A Holy Longing, that um, our longings are our spirituality, both the pain and the hope, the pain and the joy that our longings bring. I believe I read that in the late 90s uh, in his book, A Holy Longing, and, and that was another uh, point of impetus of, of, um, of digging into that. I think I, I wasn't raised in the church, but I've been told by a lot of friends who were raised in the church that the idea of befriending your longings was always kind of a tricky thing or maybe even a, a selfish thing, something that you should avoid because it leads you to you know, be self-centered and preoccupied with yourself and all of that. And that's not at all what I mean. Um, you know, the, the chapters are things like the longing for meaningful work, the longing for forgiveness, the longing for friendship, 
These are not things that take us away from the Jesus way. They are things that move us in that way. And so um, I believe that it is good to befriend the longings, to be attentive to them, um, to understand what we, um, what we are hearing in the, the Spirit's voice as we tend to them. And so my, my modest little hope for the language of the soul is that it would be a bit of a roadmap um, to help others be attentive the way that, thankfully, through the influence of a lot of writers who, yes, populate the pages. I had one interview, interviewer say that this book strikes me as a book written by an evangelist for books. And <laughs> I, I, didn't, um, I didn't intend it to be that way, but after she asked that question, I, I kind of went back and looked at it, and I realized, yeah, I do thread a lot of voices like Parker Palmer and Frederick Beekner and Henry Nouwen and Marilyn McIntyre through uh, through the book. So I guess I am a, a bit of an evangelist for books, but hopefully it's the the kind of writers and the kind of works that um, are complementary in this idea of befriending our, our longings. Well, I can affirm that absolutely it's complementary, and I think it adds so much depth and meaning um, to your book in the way, the, the particular way that you incorporated those voices. I've read books where it's like so-and-so says and so-and-so says, and that's not what you do. You are you are weaving together just this depth and treasure of wisdom, of of generations of voices who are speaking into this issue in a way. You are doing it in your unique story, but you're bringing them alongside of you to befriend you uh, yeah. along this journey. And I just I, I have to pause for a minute because when I was reading the book, uh, you were the person who introduced me to Parker Palmer, who introduced me to Frederick Buechner, and I and some of these other voices in here. And I will never forget um, being in the backseat of a car with a couple of our colleagues, you and uh, Bob Freiling were in the front. I think we were driving to a retreat or something and we were talking. I was in the, a space in my own life of kind of trying to figure out my longings and paying attention to them, especially when it came to my vocation. And you said, have you ever read Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer? And I thought, wow, do I tell my, do I tell my boss I have no idea who that is? Um, that book, I remember reading that book going, I can't believe someone understands my life and my soul. I can't believe someone is putting words to things that I have felt. I felt the same way when I read Beekner for the first time. When I read A Sacred Journey, I said, where has this book been my whole life? And your book is bringing those people along and also stirring up those th same things in me when I read those books. That is a wonderful testimony to the power of books, the power of authors. I don't remember recommending Parker Palmer <laughs> you to you, but I'm glad that I did, and you I'm did. glad you read it. And I was, I was thinking today, my son, Clay, is 20 years old right now. He's a musician. He's an artist. We're having conversations identical to so many things that you talk about in your book. And so I actually snapped him a couple um, quotes from your book this morning. And I was saying, you know, Clay, do you remember Mr. Crosby? And, and uh, you know, we're reading it. We're talking about longings. And, and he is, I mean, he is quintessential. I mean, he is everything that longs in a, in a 20 year old kid. And he said, Mom, I don't need longings. I think I need shortenings right now. <laughs> and so I ordered, I ordered this morning, I ordered him a copy of Let Your Life okay. Speak. So uh, right. anyway, see, it continues. At least he's being again. honest That's with you. That's right. He's, he's an old soul. And you yeah. and he have to talk about music, too. Okay. So anyway, I digress. Um, 
I, I think the way you have done it is so beautiful. And I love that you say to befriend your longings because depending on how you're wired, I would imagine for some people that feels like a natural thing. And for other people, they feel these longings bubble up and they're kind of like, yeah, that feels uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with this. This is ambiguous. And they kind yeah. of push it away. What happens when, when we don't pay attention to our longings? Like I said a moment ago, I do think they, they drive us um, even if we're not paying attention to them. Um, and so I think the, the task, at least my mission in the life that I've lived that led to this book is, uh, as the subtitle suggests, how do I meet God in the midst of those? How do I, how do I invite um, God's presence, which is always there, but how do I invite God to meet me in the midst of this desire to be free of anxiety and free of, of unhealthy fear? Um, I think as we are attentive and as we befriend these these longings, then we make space um, for uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit to mm-hmm. to meet us in the midst of that. And and so the ten longings I chose, I don't imagine that they are necessarily universal. There may be some people who uh, for whom friendship comes easily, or the idea of heaven, you know, being a reality and a, a promise for those in Christ is is never a question. Uh, so I don't imagine they're necessarily universal, but I do believe we all have them. Mm-hmm. And as we are attentive and as we invite um, God to meet us in the midst of them, God will do that. And and part of what I try to do in each chapter is is to share fairly vulnerably the ways in which um, God has done that in my life. And uh, and going back to your first question, probably the hardest thing about being on this side of the desk is um, a very genuine sense of vulnerability. Mm. You know, for people, even people like you who have known me um, uh, in, you know, our work together a few years ago, you know, uh, as as you encounter, you know, some of these chapters about about forgiveness and friendship and, and anxiety and fear, you know, what, oh, what, what are people going to think? <laughs> but thankfully, that is the, the minority uh, sort of sense and, and not the ever-present one. Mm. That's good. And that's so healthy because um, I would imagine a lot of people, you know, we all have those, I think Brene Brown calls them vulnerability hangovers, you know, where we share something intensely personal. And I don't know about you, but anytime I do that, if I'm preaching or with writing and you don't actually think that people are going to read it when you are writing it, you know, you're kind of in your own little space. And then when people come to you and say something about it, you're like, oh, but you just got to go back to resting. And this is what God has called me to do. This is my story. This is, you know, and this, uh, I believe that God has called me in faithfulness to share this. And so you just got to rest in your identity. It's, it's rough though. It's hard sometimes. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of these longings because you do such a a great job of breaking them down. And I, one of the things I really appreciated about the book, and this is probably your experience in publishing to know how to organize <laughs> um, a book in a way that as a reader, when I enter it, I, it's really clear to me what's happening and, and how you progress me through the book. And so you break it up into three different parts and you talk about our interior longings, then you talk about our exterior longings, and then you talk about our eternal longings. Yeah. So helpful and so good. How did you, how did you break them down that way? You know, our former colleague at the publisher, Joe Keane, uh, who is from Brazil and was a, an early conversation partner about Saudade with me, he interviewed me a few days ago um, back at the, at the publishing house. 
that was like his first question. He、mm. said, "I've read a lot of books, and I, I was really curious why I've never seen a structure like this, and I don't think it's that novel."、Um, but he asked me, "Where did that structure come from? The internal, the external, the..." The eternal, and I said to Joaquin, my friend, I don't know where it came from. I have no earthly memory,、mm. but what I believe happened, and I think you've touched on it in your comment there. I have soaked in over the course of forty years books as a reader, and as a a publisher, as someone working with authors to help their books land with an audience, and. I think what I knew instinctively, though not necessarily consciously, is that the reader needs to know where am I going, like where where am I starting, where am I going to journey, and and what's my ultimate destination. And and so I think I just instinctively knew that if I just had these ten chapters, starting with home, and ending with heaven, and nothing. To kind of organize、uh, around that, that you know, it it might not make sense,、mm. and so yeah, they're organized、uh, in the way they are with six interior or internal and three external or exterior and one eternal, just the longing for heaven,、um, to kind of give that roadmap, and also because I believe it is out of the the interior work. The first six chapters that the external work of friendship and meaningful work and community、mm. flow. So as we are attending to the longings within our hearts, within our souls, this space is made for our work, for our community, and for our friendships. But Suan, I honestly don't know where it came from,、um, other than that instinctive. Let's give the reader a roadmap, and、yeah. so hopefully it does that. Well, it worked, and I'm not usually a reader who's looking for a roadmap. And this was—it、uh, made sense because that that internal. When I was going through the internal, the longing for home, the longing for an undivided self, the longing for forgiveness, spiritual transformation, for peace, to be free from fear and anxiety. I was like, okay, this is work within me, but it can't always just be within me. And and we're going to get to that when we talk about the external longings. But I'm sure there are people listening that don't like to mess with the internal. And I think it's just a good reminder for everyone to lean in. Right? That's why we call this deeper still. Lean in, go deeper still,、right. um, because we can't we can't make those connections in the outer world and have meaning in those places if we don't do the inner work. As God is doing that work in us, so I thought so good. Yeah, there is a hidden wholeness to our lives that our interior lives flow out into our exterior. It's、mm. we're we're not we're not front stage and backstage people with this strong bifurcation. Although we live that way a lot、mm. of times, that we are、um, there is a hidden wholeness to human persons, and so a healthy soul、uh, gives space and soil. And and nurturing to a healthy work and relationships in the world. Yeah, well, let's talk about this because this is one of your chapters when you talk about the longing for an undivided self, and I imagine that's not common language for everybody. But the way you describe it, to talk about how when we're a divided self, when our interior and our exterior are not connected.、Um, And there's all kinds of things I want to ask you about with that, but I'm going to pause and let you talk about what what is a divided self, what is an undivided self, and how does that what does that look like in our everyday lives when we are divided? Well, I have six grandchildren. They're aged now twelve down to five, and I I watch them 
um, you know, as their grandfather, um, as they entered the world and as they've been growing up into it. And I, I, I just came to, I came to agree with our, our friend and author Parker Palmer, who, who, who said in one of his books um, that we arrive into the world integral persons. We are, we are, we are whole. We're not. Um, we we don't have the the onstage backstage, but over the course of time and through the effects, perhaps of family systems, perhaps the education system, um, through uh, sin, through uh, you know other things that uh, we could get into, but I'm sure don't have time for. We we develop this divided self. It's very very common, and um, I know in my own leadership, uh, you know, through these forty years that. I would, you know, I would often just have this um, this piercing sense of of the fraud syndrome, which I think mm. Brene Brown talks about that too, and um, of being, uh, you know, of longing to not be different in my public leadership uh, facing than who I am, you know, sitting across a dinner table with one person. But for whatever reason, through whatever influence, over time, that we we lose some of that that uh, integrated self that that we arrive into the world with, and our job is to recognize, um, you know, through uh, being attentive to uh, to our lives, how do we reintegrate? How do we uh, recognize once again a hidden wholeness and? Uh, Parker introduced me to this notion, which I believe I write about, of a Mobius strip. Where, in retreat with him, he he had this strip of paper, and we were we were to write um, all of our uh, the ideas about ourselves uh, externally, like when we're in public, when we're working, when we're standing on a stage in front of people, or things like that. And then, who are we when we are alone? Who are we when we are with our spouse? Who are we when we're with a sacred spiritual friend? And then we taped this thing together. We, we twisted it and we taped it together. And the message was, this is a seamless, this, this Mobius strip, which comes out of, I believe, a French scientist. Uh, this is a seamless thing. The, inter, the inner leads to the outer. Mm. And so it is our job to, to develop healthy uh, healthy souls, healthy spirituality, healthy identity, and not have this divided self. I hope that answers your question. It, it's it's so, a very, very deep one. It's so deep, but you know what? That's why people need to read this book, because you unpack it so well. It is a deep one, but I think it's so important in our world today, because when you look at the inconsistency with which especially believers live sometimes, especially leaders, right? You know, we look around right. at what's happening in, in our pulpits and in, in our leadership circles where people are not living consistent lives with what their outer and their inner self. And we're seeing the havoc that is wreaking on people's faith, um, believing people's faith on the confusion that creates, not to right. mention people outside of the church walls who are looking at us and going, what the heck are you all doing, right? right. And so having that that consistency to who you are in both places, I think is becoming more and more important um, each and every day. It's, it's our witness. I mean, it's our witness in this world. I could not agree more. Mm-hmm. Well, good stuff. Uh, I w- we could camp out there all day, but we got a lot more to talk about. Let's okay. talk a little bit about um, fear and anxiety. This is another one, I think, just where we're at as a culture. 
the good news is people are talking about it more and more. They're talking more about mental health. They're, they're not as afraid to say that they've struggled with some of these things. I think um, you're very vulnerable in the book about telling your own story. You tell a story of the first time you had a panic attack and, and yeah. what that looked like for you. But then also what that caused you to do, the, this longing to be free from some of that which was enslaving you. And so talk a little bit about, enslaving might be a strong word, sorry. Yeah, I, that's, that's a little okay. bit, of, those, that's my word, not your words, a little right. strong word. Um, but but you were on a journey to kind of be free from this and yeah. you did the hard work. And so talk a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I think that fear in particular and fear and anxiety are, uh, I mean, clinically are different things. And they uh, they manifest in in our our lives in different ways. But I do loop them together, and I begin with a panic attack in New York City uh, at a, a, a the largest uh, booksellers convention in the uh, the country at that point. Um, and something happened as I was listening to a speaker named Gerald May that I simply didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. I felt the room was closing in on me. I, my wife was with me, Cindy. We ran the bookstore together. And we were listening to Gerald May, who was speaking on his book, Addiction and Grace, um, in New York City at the Jacob Javits Center. And, um, and the, the walls were just closing in. And so that's the opening motif of that chapter. I'd never talked about it publicly, mm. as Cindy obviously knew. Uh, because she was with me and she followed me as I ran out into the rain, hailing a cab. She, you know, is behind me, and we make our way to the budget hotel in Manhattan. And and we, you know, uh, once I could compose myself enough, we talked about what was going on, what happened. And the next day, we blew off our our work in the American Booksellers Convention and went to. Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty, and we just had time alone to process and to talk. So that's the opening scene. But what it all leads to, along with talking about a fear of flying at the very time that uh, that I was having to fly all the time for mm-hmm. my work all over the world, um, and also fear of public speaking at the very time <laughs> that as my as my work, uh, my my role increased, like it became more, rather than being one-to-one, like what we're doing today, it became being up in front of dozens or hundreds of people, fear of, of speaking. What that all led to was practices that helped, um, use the word enslave, I, I would say it gave me freedom from um, from uh, debilitating, uh, a limiting mm. uh, fear and anxiety. I, I was choosing not to enter into things that I, in retrospect, sensed that God was actually calling me to and making way for me to do because I was afraid. And so it led me to um, uh, practices such as the examine, uh, merely a process of uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, talking either to myself or to a trusted other of where did I sense God's presence or God's uh, silence or absence in the day or what were my desolations or consolations. Mm-hmm. There are different language for it, but it's it's a, simply a way and has been in place for centuries. It's nothing new um, to kind of review the day and where did I sense God's goodness or 
um, where did I wish for more um, of that? And a number of other practices, reading the Psalms um, as prayer rather than just for information or inspiration Mm -hmm. and things like that. So that was the single hardest chapter to write. It was the hardest one Mm -hmm. to let out into the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I had it on the chopping block for quite some time, um, but just sensed that it probably... It probably needed to see the light of day for me, if for no one else, mm-hmm. so that I could finally talk about it. Um, and it, the book I knew was going to be published in the in the aftermath, or is it even aftermath of the pandemic yet? But we're all still feeling the effects of it. Our children are feeling the effects. Our schools, our families, um, and so I, uh, I said, let's let it out in the world mm-hmm. and see if it does any good. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for thanks for doing that and thanks for being so vulnerable. What's ironic about that is I you know, I told you when you came in I had like ten pages of notes on all the things I wanted to ask you about and I was gonna skip over that. I wasn't gonna ask you about that. And so the Lord must just want this. That was not the question I was gonna ask you. So God, I, I do think the more we name it and the more there's so many people that struggle with it. My daughter struggled with it in high school and I saw her have a panic attack for the first time and it's like nothing I'd seen before. And um, she's been pretty good about vulnerable about sharing her story. And it's like the more we can remove some of that stigma and let people know. Yeah. Number one, they're not alone. And number two, you know, you talk about practices a lot throughout the book, rhythms, practices, rituals, liturgy, these things that um, are not earth shattering. They're that, as our friend Jen Pollock Michelle would say, they're habits of faith. And, and how sometimes when we face these places where we're longing and we're not sure what to do, sometimes just showing up and doing the habits of our faith, doing the exam and learning about practices, you know, you have a, you have a chapter on spiritual formation and how at one point in your life, you know, as many of us, I, I, this was me too. You're at a point in your faith where it's all about knowledge and it's all about accumulating. And, you know, it's all about the uh, apologetics of how we prove our faith. And you realize as you get older or realize at some point on your journey that, um, wow, you know, God is, God is a, (laughs) God is a God of mystery and awe and transformation is not something that can be put in a box. And so inviting those practices and, and different things into our lives, that longing for not information, but transformation is also part of your journey. It really is. I I think I may use the phrase, the shell answer man somewhere in the book, and that may not connect with people who are younger. It was a, an ad campaign for the shell, you know, gasoline chain, but, um, you know, yeah, that was my story for a long time, coming to faith as an adult and then, you know, coming into a much more cerebral, like intellectual, uh, having answers to questions that nobody was even asking me, but being prepared. And um, so definitely the last 20 years or so has been a, a journey more on the interior side as opposed to merely the intellectual. And I'm I'm grateful for the authors and and uh, spiritual directors and others who have have helped me on that journey. So I still I still value knowledge. I still do. If if asked a question, I, I I'd like to think on my feet, but it is not um, it is not where I camp out mm-hmm. uh, all the time anymore. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 spiritual life is about much more than just having an answer. Yeah, 
absolutely. One of my favorite lines in the whole book is you say, I always sensed I was just one banana peel away from losing my balance. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, amen to that. Can yeah. we all relate to that? that so, is so true. So good. Such a great line. That's one of those lines as a writer. I'm like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. That is so good. <laughs> all right. We've talked a lot about interior. Uh, we get to move on and talk a little bit about these exterior longings. So we're doing the inner work. Um, but there are things that are exterior longings. And you begin this section with a quote by Kurt Thompson that I thought is so good. It says, we long for a world of goodness and beauty, of biblical justice, of putting all things right. We long for a world in which our relationships with those of the other gender, ethnic people group, and political party, as well as with the material world, are governed by kindness and honesty. And I'm so glad that you created this section because so often we can think our faith journey is just about me and my relationship with the Lord. It's just me and God. But this points us to the fact that there is, we also long for the world around us, our relationships. Um, You bring justice up a lot in the book. I shouldn't say that. You don't bring it up a lot. It is a thread throughout that I can tell is really important to you, um, which I really appreciate. So thank you for that. Um, But we want things to be right with the world around us. We long for that. And so you talk about community, you talk about friendship, you talk about meaningful work. So unpack a few of these for me. And one of the questions I had is this difference between between you have a chapter on community and you have a chapter on friendship. I thought that's an interesting distinction, the difference mm. between those two things. Yeah, that's a good good question, not one that I've had posed to me yet. But um, the friendship, uh, I'm really diving into the idea of spiritual friendship. I think one of your guests on Deeper Still was Mindy Caligore mm-hmm. a while back. And um, she has a little book uh, on spiritual friendship where she so helpfully makes distinctions uh, between just friends, people we know, and we may enjoy spending time with, and a spiritual friend. So in the chapter on friendship, I think what I'm really portraying is that. It's spiritual friendship. And I I talk about a a gentleman, I, I call him my pastor on the prairies from He's from a, another part of this state, and uh, we drive quite a distance to meet each other in this little town of Dwight, Illinois. And we have just made space for each other. We've made um, this spiritual friendship a priority, and it's been it's been a very healing, um, you know, man to man sort of friendship in in a way that has been uncommon for me in in my life. Um, community, on the other hand, is I suppose it's friendship or spiritual friendship writ a bit larger, and I really open that up with a, a portrait of, of, of working on a book that was called God's Neighborhood, uh, A Hopeful Journey in Racial Reconciliation and Community Renewal. And so I'm with the author, and we're, we're planning you know, the market positioning and how we're going to you know, deliver this book to the audience in the months ahead. And but there was a community need in this in this little hard scrabble uh, part of a very affluent uh, suburb in in the Nashville area, and so we just jumped in his jeep and and we went and we tended to this community need. Um, so uh, it's uh, it's about more than just a one to one friendship. The longing for community is having. Um, our lives make a difference in our communities, uh, in our churches, in our world. And one of the things that 
I, I especially like about that chapter is I talk for the first time about uh, something that my wife and I did in, in the midst of the increasing polarization in our cultural context and our political context, the, uh, a dinner that mm. we put together um, every month for about two years until the pandemic set in. And uh, as, a, as a means of bringing together from people from very diverse perspectives and, and uh, backgrounds uh, around two things we loved, which were books in the natural world. And so that was kind of the portrait of the, the community efforts that, uh, that I, I, I would love to see uh, more of and which we longed for and, and actually did something to make it happen mm. with God's help. Well, and in reading that part of the book, I was thinking, I, I want to be in your living room. I want to be part of these conversations. And, and one of the beautiful things about those conversations was you really were trying to um, kind of bring down the temperature of polarization right. and, and just, just be human and real together and leave all that stuff aside and just have conversations about what matters and what's meaningful and bring people together. And you said sometimes you'd have as many as 50, 70 people in your house, which uh, is insane, but uh, it shows that people are longing <laughs> for that. Exactly. I think at the height it was 75. And then everything obviously had to be shut down when we were sheltering in place. But last Thursday, just a few days mm. ago, we dipped our toes back in the water, and we had 30. So we we, we scaled it way back, but they came. And uh, so um, we're, we're, we're going to see where we go from there. I don't yes. know if we'll get back to 75 or not. Mm, well, everyone will we'll give out your email and your phone number at the end of this, <laughs> and, and anyone who wants to come can call you and show oh, up. I'm sure, you'd be, okay. I'm sure Cindy would love that. I'm, I'm sure, sure she would. <laughs> Um, okay, I, another external longing that I want to touch on, um, this conversation is going by way too fast, is the longing for meaningful work. And I, I can't ask you this question without beginning this um, again with just how meaningful to talk about vocation and calling. I said when, when you and I interacted, you were actually my supervisor at IVP and um, you and I was struggling with this and I was, I, we all want to do work that matters. You know, you, you bring this out so well that we want to do something that matters. We want to do something that, um, makes a difference in the world and know that, that our inner self and, and the world around us are aligned in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And as I was struggling with that, I will never forget you, um, offered uh, outside of your duties as my supervisor, but as a mentor and said, you know what, how about we do uh, you did an examine with me on my work life. And you said, I want you to go through, think about all the places you've worked and what you have done and what has brought you joy and what has drained you. And then we're going to sit down and talk about it. And you, you and I met at a Starbucks on Ogden Avenue. And I remember right. at the end of that conversation, I was bawling my eyes out because um, it was this longing for me to have meaningful work. And that started me on a trajectory. It was a long, it's been a long journey, but started me on a trajectory of really asking God and searching um, and God meeting me in those longings. And so I want to say publicly thank you for that. You're that was one of the most meaningful moments for me, uh, I think, in my journey. And so mm -hmm. um, you talk about the longing for meaningful work and how people can invite God into that process. And so talk a, talk a little bit about that yeah. with us. My, my early thoughts about all of that, um, because uh, I confess that, you know, with a few exceptions, in my life as a whole, and no exception in my um, adult life, I have always found great meaning in the work that I do. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not one of those 
people who had kind of a, a, a real wrestling. I, I was more of a refinement than a, than any sort of big uh, big shifts or hurdles. But I, I remember being at a camp with my daughter in, in Northern California and bunking up with, the, it was a father-daughter camp, and I was bunking with like 20 other <laughs> men. Um, and they were all very successful, much more successful than outwardly I was. Doctors and dentists and stockbrokers and things like that, and but as we met at night and we talked about what we did and you know what filled our days, um, almost to a person, they 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 longed for their work to to matter more, or at least for them to know that it mattered more than they did, and that started me on this path of writing about about vocation and probably something that I gave you. I don't remember, but I imagine I, I gave you some of the things that I had assembled, some of the writing, and then that made its way into the book. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, one of the, the key statements that has guided um, my thoughts on vocation, it, it came from Thomas Chalmers, a, a Scottish cleric. He was a a very, very important person in the church and in the government of Scotland. And he said, the grand essentials of happiness are something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. Mm-hmm. And um, and that came out to, to me, uh, came to me through a book uh, by Ben Patterson called The Grand Essentials. And I would later have the, the joy of publishing several books with Ben. And so the the, the cycle of life is just very, very interesting from long ago encountering Chalmers and then, and then Ben's book and then working with him on books. I, I do think that we all long for something to do. Um, it may or may not be what we're paid for, but something to do that, that we are uniquely suited to do as a, as a gift to the world. And I think uh, part of what I hope people will come out of reading that chapter with is mm-hmm. some tools to help, uh, help them discern, as, as you did through us talking and I'm sure other people speaking into your life. And now, you know, you risked change and look at what you're doing today mm-hmm. as a result of, mm-hmm. of stepping through that. So something to do. Something to love and something to hope for. I think those are pretty, pretty helpful, grand essentials of happiness to keep in mind. And so I unpack that a little more in the chapter. Yeah, and I think there's so many people wrestling with that out there. We hear it a lot as a pastoral staff, you know, people just trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. And yeah. so I found that chapter incredibly helpful. I It was the chapter that I was taking pictures of as my son was sleeping upstairs and sending pictures to him. I'm like, <laughs> this might be too deep for you, but I need you to read this and sit with it. And so, so much good and meaningful things in, in that chapter. Well, we are uh, coming to a close here. So just two more questions, but I do want to talk about these eternal longings. And, um, you know, when you start the book, you talk about a longing for for home. That's how you begin. And you end the book with a longing for home, but it's a much different kind of longing for home. Talk about why those two longings are, there's some similarities, but ultimately our longing for an eternal home is not the same for our longing as a home on this earth. Yeah, I think I was influenced by the writer Richard Foster, who um, in one of his books, he talked about um, heaven is our heart's true home. And so um, the the bookends of the book are the longing for home, which may be a geographic place. It, it, could, be, um, it could be more of a sense of belonging uh, wherever we are. Um, 
and the longing for heaven, you know, something obviously much deeper, more mysterious. Scripture doesn't talk a lot about heaven. When it does talk about heaven, it is really, it's, it's more often than not, you know, talking about a more of a cosmological kind of place, um, but there's not a lot of detail. And um, and as I was working on this and realizing that I wanted to begin with home and end with heaven, it really sent me into a number of other uh, sources and reflection on what had I understood about heaven through my, what now, 42 years as a Christian? Um, and where did that come from? Uh, is it really a hopeful thing or, you know, am I fearful? And, um, and uh, so that's, uh, that's what I'm trying to do, you know, I suppose in all of this is I'm, I'm writing, first of all, Sue Ann, for myself. And it's an exercise in my own questions and um, my own journey and, uh, and then working that out and then hopefully giving a gift uh, to those who will read it. But um, uh, The Longing for Heaven uh, ends, I believe, um, you know, that's the epilogue with the John mm-hmm. O'Donohue poem, mm-hmm. But um, I do recall distinctly um, being in uh, a very sacred place, a kind of a thin place in Glendalough, Ireland, in County Wicklow. It's a, it's a monastic um, site, one of the oldest and best preserved in all of Ireland. And um, being up sitting alongside one of the two lakes at Glendalough and dwelling on the, the mystery of heaven and uh, reading a book by John O'Donohue um, at the time and journaling the words that became uh, the, the chapter, The Longing for Heaven. So I do believe it's our, our heart's true home, that it is distinct from the way we think of home uh, in the natural world. Um, but it seemed like a bookend for the mm. book and for the journey that I've been on. Mm. It was a beautiful bookend, and um, it pointed us exactly, I think, where it needed to point us and to end the book by recognizing that so so much of our life with God, especially when we're thinking about our eternal home, is a mystery, and yeah. that you know we are this little speck on the universe that, that can do our best to try and mine the riches of, of God and we're going to just fall short when it comes especially to um, this longing for our eternal home and to just to be at peace with that uh, because it's what we long for, but it's not what we have now. And I thought that was yeah. a really beautiful way to end yeah. the book. So The idea of heaven is certainly not a place where the shell answer man would have a lot of answers. <laughs> That's right. That's it right. is a lot of mystery. That's right. Oh, so good. So beautiful. Well, Jeff, one of the questions I ask... Um, Everyone who comes on deeper still is, you know, we are all about here this exactly what we've been talking about. What does it look like to when we think we have kind of things figured out or we think we've arrived at a certain point in our life to actually let God shake us up a little bit and say, actually, you don't have this figured out. You have not arrived, but actually he's always calling us to go deeper. And just when we, he does that, he calls us to go deeper still. And so what's one place in your own life right now where God is calling you to go deeper still? Well, I, I would um, say that it is actually reading as a spiritual discipline, which might seem odd for someone who has been working in bookselling and publishing for such a long time. But um, 
the idea here, uh, the, the deeper still in reading as a spiritual discipline, is that it's not, and we talked about this a little bit, I didn't know you were going to ask uh, one of the questions earlier, but it's not just for information, but in the words of Richard Foster, it's to read, quote, in a way that allows God to get us into the ground, mm. to put us where God can work within us and transform us, to read as a means of placing ourselves as readers where God can bless us and shape us. So that's a different kind of reading than I often do, and I believe it is a means of grace when I have allowed myself to read as a spiritual discipline uh, very intentionally and to make space for that, to have a place to go, a time to go, and um, a certain, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, it's the discipline of study where he unpacks kind of the three levels of reading. Um, so I think that's what it is in this moment, and I believe out of that, you said only one, but I would say one A, and this is one <laughs> B, is uh, then to write, to out of that reading to write. And so I think the next book is going to be something, what have I discovered of reading as a spiritual discipline, and what could I hand you know, to readers? So I think that's probably going to be 1B, um, a deeper still calling to to share the journey I'm on of reading as a spiritual discipline, rather than just for information or entertainment or inspiration, all of which are fine reasons mm -hmm. to read, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Thanks for being here. I do think The Language of the Soul is a book that people can sit with and do exactly what you just said. And so thanks for sharing it. Thanks for yeah. writing it. Thanks for sharing your life, your heart your story and thanks for doing it all in a way that points us to um, identify our own longings and to ultimately a deeper relationship with the Lord. So thank you so much for being here, Jeff. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, my friends, if there were ever a conversation that lies at the heart and soul of what Deeper Still is all about, this is it. If you're listening today and you're feeling a stirring, you are feeling that longing, whether it's external or internal or eternal and you haven't leaned into it yet. You just keep pushing it aside because you think, I don't have time to deal with that right now. I can't encourage you enough, my friends. Pay attention. Carve out the space to listen. Start asking God what he's saying to you. Invite a few trusted friends along the journey and trust what God is doing in your life. And my friends, I say this from one dreamer to another, those of you out there listening, don't be afraid to take a risk. Take a risk to not only be the person that God is calling you to become, but to do the things that God is calling you to do. I know there's someone out there that needs to hear that. So my friends, pay attention, do the work. I promise you won't regret it. What else you won't regret is picking up a copy of Jeff's book wherever you buy your favorite books, The Language of the Soul, Meeting God and the Longings of Our Hearts. I am over the moon about this book, so be sure to pick up a copy and don't forget to share this episode with a friend. Well, looking ahead on Deeper Still, we are entering a bit of a new rhythm for the summer season where I confess I just want to manage some healthy rhythms in my own life, in my own soul. And so I'm going to give myself some grace and flexibility as we enter this summer. So the schedule won't be quite as regular as we've been doing for the last 79 months, which by the way, all the more reason to subscribe to Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform. You won't miss a thing that way. 
Um, but one of the things I'm looking forward to, we will continue recording this summer, just maybe not quite as regularly, but you'll see it come out. But I am really looking forward to interviewing what we call here at Christchurch our Summer Lights speakers, who are our guest speakers from all over the country in our pulpit during July and August. And my friends, listen to this, listen to this. In a few weeks, I'm going to be interviewing John Ortberg. And so I'm a little nervous about that, but I'm pretty excited. We will get that episode out to you as soon as it's done. So pray for that, but be sure to come back and listen into that conversation. Well, until then, thanks so much again for joining us. Happy summer. And as you go forward in whatever places and spaces God has called you to be right now, I hope and I pray that you pay attention to how he might be calling you to go deeper still. Thanks so much for being here. Go in God's grace. Mm -hmm.